0: Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's continue just one verse more into 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Look, I am ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you, since I am not seeking what is yours, but you. For children ought not to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. This verse is why we encompass chapters 10 through 13 in 2 Corinthians because he's speaking about a third visit, which would indicate this is li- not likely, that this would be evidence against the, the theory that this the chapters 10 through 13 is the severe letter, the quote-unquote missing letter of to the Corinthians. The theory is that you've got 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and we're missing one in the middle. Well, this theory that chapters 10 through 13, because its, to- its tone and everything is totally different from the rest of the book, could be that severe letter that goes in the middle. Chapter 14 does poke a hole in that theory because he's talking about a third visit. And if chapters 10 through 13 uh, were the severe letter, that would mean that Paul visited the church of Corinth some like four different times. And we don't really have record of that in his missionary journeys. Still plausible, still still, still possible, uh, but verse 14 at its core, its crux, its purpose has something more to tell us than just Paul's travel itinerary and whether or not chapters 10 through 13 was originally a separate document. Look, I'm ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you. And what he's referring to quite coothfully here is the fact that he's not going to ask them for any kind of financial support. He has just sort of bragged on not having been a burden to them. Uh, he, has just, he has just sort of, uh, he, he sort of nagged them a little bit about that. <laughs> and now he's coming to them again and he's not gonna seek any kind of support. His main objective here is just to collect the offering that they have committed to the Jerusalem church. And as we saw in chapters eight and nine in our theology of giving, it's not even just about coming to collect their money to bail out the Jerusalem church. It's about their hearts in it. He's really proud of them for not only following through on what they had committed to do a year prior and helping like, collect this offering for the Jerusalem church, but he's happy that they want to do it that their hearts are in it. Look, I'm ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you since I'm not seeking what is yours, but you. I'm I'm not coming just to get something from you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming to be with you. What I want is you, fellowship with you, reconciliation with you in person. So if you if you hold to the larger, more prevalent traditional theory that that uh, chapters ten through thirteen do belong in what we call Second Corinthians, and it is part of the larger letter that he was being very he was he was following this beautiful uh, conciliatory theme of the God of all comfort, and then chapter ten took on a more severe tone. Uh, in that case, in that case, uh, he he still brings that theme back up in verse fourteen. I'm, I just want to come be with you. I just, want, I just want to reconcile face-to-face with you. We've been, we've been writing, we've been corresponding a lot, but it's not, it's not cutting it for me. You know, my parents will tell me that sometimes. Like, look, we're, we're tired of Facebook video calls and we're tired of Zoom, like, we wanna see you. We wanna be there with you. Like, my parents will say, uh, look, it's been long enough. Can we come to Seattle? Or we'll say the same thing, come come up to Seattle. They live in Florida, we live in Seattle, we're a long way away from each other. And, you know, texts and phone calls and video chats only get you so far. So imagine how Paul felt about the Church of Corinth. They didn't have Zoom, they didn't have Facebook Messenger, they didn't have texts. It was just handwritten letters exchanged back and forth between the two of them, and now it's like, I just want you. I just want to be there with you. He views himself as the father of this church in a certain regard. It's all Christ's church. It belongs to Christ, it is his bride, but he uses the metaphor, he uses a paternal metaphor here because he's the one who planted this church And here's what he said, for children ought not save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Because he had planted the church at Corinth, he wanted to just come and bless them. He didn't want them to come and fund his way of life. Now I know that uh, we have a lot of people in our church culturally, especially if you come from from Asian cultures there's a different tradition here where the belief is that children do save up for their parents and take care of their parents and and we as Americans we do we, we put our parents in nursing homes and things like that and it, it may be a cultural shock to you and this metaphor may not even be it may not even totally resonate with you don't don't take offense at the the at the the cultural the cultural euphemism that Paul is using here because in his original context in his original cultural context what he's what he's saying is that look I feel like I'm, as as the one who planted this church, I do feel a paternal responsibility to you. I only want to bless you. I you I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want you to feel like you have to take care of me. I want to come take care of you. So see through the cultural lens. He comes from a culture wherein, you know, when you kick the kids out of the nest, they're on their own and they got to fly on their own. And he doesn't want... He doesn't want to be the father who goes to the kid to ask for support. He wants to come and just bless them and just to be with them. He's not looking for any kind of resources they have to provide. It's just a matter of being with. It's just genuine fellowship with them. I believe that Second Corinthians is intact, and I believe that I believe that uh, Paul's Paul's beautiful conciliatory message uh, makes sense at this juncture in the text. I think that it's good to have been so severe to deal with what needs to be dealt with these super apostles and all of this questioning of Paul's apostolic authority after having seen you know numerous evidences over the the their, their time together from AD 50 to AD 51 until whenever it is he's writing this it's uh it, it it was it was painful it needed to be dealt with but in candor they've addressed it and now he's coming back to the roots of it I just want to be with you it is good to be able to have these kinds of difficult conversations. Were it not for Paul's dealing with all of the, all of the pain, then they would have an artificial kind of harmony. Between First and Second Corinthians, if this, uh, this severe letter is a separate document, then this means that uh, Titus is the one who delivered it, and it was well received. The people repented, and now they want to get back in touch with Paul. And they want to see Paul face to face. They had, at one point, deviated away from Paul as super apostles came in and questioned his credibility they deviated away and now it's time for reconciliation it's it's time to, to make up between the apostle and the church that he planted that candor with which he very caustically confronted some of the some of the accusations that were brought up in chapters 11 uh, 10 and 11 it was necessary and likewise in good and healthy relationships you're either, you either have true harmony uh, because you're you're able to deal candidly with painful painful matters, or you have an artificial harmony in which you just pretend like you're at peace with each other. And meanwhile, some of those issues will just fester behind the scenes. You'll never have a true connection. Actually, you'll just both put on masks and play a part when you're in proximity to one another. And then eventually, it'll just explode. And, and the results will be disproportionately severe to what ought to have been or what could have been should you have resolved it with candor this way that Paul does here. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that you need to candidly poke at every single festering issue Uh, A man's wisdom gives him patience and it's to his glory to overlook an offense. There are some matters in which you can just look past it. Don't misapply the scripture by saying like, if I'm going to be like Paul, I've got to just cut straight to the point and be blunt and direct. We can sometimes misuse those words and really describe ourselves. Really we're acting like a total complete jerk. (laughs) And what Paul is doing is defending his apostolic authority because the gospel is is at stake here. The gospel itself is at stake. He doesn't, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time trying to defend his own ego. It's not that he's fragile. It's that he's met with Jesus. He has planted this church upon the true foundation. There are demonic-inspired teachers sowing seeds of a false gospel and they are attacking his credibility. So the gospel is at stake, not Paul's ego. This is worth confronting and using candor. This is not one of those matters where you just kind of let it slide and you show grace where a man's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. You know, it's not one of those matters because it's the gospel itself that's at stake. So this is why Paul does this. When it matters most, be willing to use candor and confront. Don't settle for an artificial harmony if the gospel is at stake. In terms of online social media, you know, social media world, Here's how I've dealt with this, because you know, social media adds a whole weird dynamic, doesn't it? When, when you're scrolling through your social media and you come upon somebody who has said something that's incorrect, guess what, welcome to the internet, like most of us are wrong. But when you see someone who, in, in my these are my personal convictions, when somebody misrepresents scripture, I always feel the need to weigh in. And when somebody says something that threatens the lives of the unborn, I always, Way in. Now, I, over the years, you know, mostly because I've just got too many kids now and I've got, I'm planting a church and we're starting a ministry. I'm trying to do real estate. And it's just too busy. I don't have time to like quibble online with, with people that I either don't know or, or don't remember that well. I love them still, but I've just, I've got a ministry calling right here. There are three little dots in the top right corner on Facebook in particular that you can use to turn off notifications for a post. So if you're in a you're having a busy day and you see something that you, like Paul in the case of the Corinthian church, feel like you just need to be, needs to be addressed, Paul in his apostolic authority was, you know, it was under attack. And so he's like, I've got to use candor, I've got to address this, I've got to get into the sand pit, talk like a fool among the fools. And look, you know, I've, I've got to address this. When I get there in person, I just want to be there with you. We're going to reconcile face to face. But having used this, this caustic tone, it was to address something that really mattered. When you likewise in social media, if you come upon something that really matters, like the gospel itself is at stake, like God's word has been misrepresented, or something has been posted that could influence a young mother to have her baby killed, and you see that this is a matter of life and death. This is not just a meme. Not just an idea, it's something that could be used as a rationalization for murder, as an abortion later on. You can intervene. You can, you can step in and if you, uh, by, by all means go for it, use candor, use grace, stay true to what the Bible says. And uh, if you are in a situation where you just you can't go back and forth for, hours. I used to do that. I used to, you know, have ongoing conversations throughout the day that were going for like 11 hours. And I'm sparring with like 50 different people the entire day. You know, I'm not much used to the people that I'm physically present with when I do that. Um, So if that's, if if you're in a situation where you just can't do that, (laughs) you can't wage like a 50 front campaign defending the lives of the unborn that day, um, say what you have to say and then unsubscribe from notifications later on. And then let it be what it is. Let people accept or reject it based on its merits. Let the Holy Spirit use it accordingly. Paul had confronted what needed to be confronted, used candor, and now he's ready to just come be with them and reconcile with them and make peace with them. There are times to confront and there are times to simply reconcile.